Welcome back to Read the Roster. I'm Ross. And I'm Reed. And this is our recap episode of everything that happened in week one. Uh, crazy week one of college football. Um, didn't really see any huge upsets minus the Utah game. Um, but a lot of good football, a lot of crazy moments. And uh, yeah, excited to kind of chop it all up and talk it out. Yeah, I was very pleased with this week one of uh, college football. It was very exciting week one. And we had very good games from Thursday to Sunday. So was pretty exciting. Uh, before we kind of hop into the recap, I do want to appreciate all the support we've seen uh, off of our first episode. Uh, garnered a little bit more attention than we were kind of expecting. Uh, so just want to thank everybody for their support as we continue to try and build this thing up and get an audience. Uh, we had a lot of fun making our first episode. And like I said, we want to make a community out of this thing um, and just, you know, continue talking football with, with everybody we know and and the audience that we get to listen. Yeah, I was honestly pretty crazy. I didn't think that we'd receive that much attention. I thought we'd get a few viewers, but I think last time you said we were up to like 70 viewers or something like that. So it's kind of crazy to see. So excited to see where we can go from here and build on it. All right. So let's jump into it. Uh, the first games we'll kind of go over are the Thursday games. Uh, the first one to bring up is obviously the Pitt-West Virginia game. The backyard brawl was back. Uh, a really physical game. You know, a lot of people say that the Big 12 doesn't really bring the physicality, but I think West Virginia did bring that today or to this game. Uh, I think Pitt overall did end up showing a little bit more physicality, but overall it was a back and forth game the whole way. Really intense. Like I said, really physical. Uh, unfortunate that, you know, for. West Virginia, the game ends in a pick six that the receiver obviously should have caught. So, you know, it's always kind of tough to to lose on a game-clinching interception like that, uh, especially when it wasn't necessarily just a mental error from the QB, just a really bad overall play by the wide receiver. But we got an awesome back-and-forth game. Final score, 38-31. Pitt takes it home. So it was a very great game to start off the college football week one. Like you said, the interception was kind of sucky to lose on, and I was very happy to see that JT came out and played the game that he was capable of like we saw at Georgia. But, yeah, Pitt, Kidden Slovis, that defense, they were more physical. Pulled it out in, a, honestly, a slugfest. So it was a very good game to see, and we were all over at your house watching it, and I think it all kind of got us excited for the rest of what was to come for the next few games. Yeah, and I think the I think you touched on something important right there, and I think it's how I think JT was pretty impressive. Um, a lot of times with transfer quarterbacks, you don't really see them step into a system right away and, and flourish. And I think both Slovis and JT played really well um, there for a little bit, just both kind of back and forth throwing it around the yard a little bit. Um, but it still was a pretty physical game. Uh, you did see a lot of of run game action, so. Like you said, a really good game to kind of kick off the the real start to the college football season, um, bringing back a really storied rivalry. And overall, like you said, it was a really fun game to watch. Yeah, I think that we both projected uh, projected Pitt to win, so I think we both kind of got that one right. So, but I am glad that JT Daniels is finally back and healthy. And I am a big fan of Keaton Slovis. I think he kind of balled out when he was at USC, but. 
just didn't work out there, so I had to transfer to Pitt. So it's going to be interesting how far they climb up in the rankings after this win because I do think it was a back and forth and a very tough game to win. Then uh, their offense just kind of put it all out there on a, like you said, very physical West Virginia defense and then vice versa with JT and their defense. So it was a very exciting game to watch. Now going to the Penn State-Purdue game, you know this was a tough one for me. I really liked Purdue going into this game. And I think if not for a couple of different plays, you could really see this being a Purdue win. Uh, you know, Penn State comes out on top a little bit to my surprise. Uh, but overall, I think the same kind of concern showed up from Penn State. However, the thing that impressed me was Sean Clifford made a play when he needed to. So if we can get that Sean Clifford, I think Penn State has a chance to be better than expected this year better than what we both said in our uh, preview episode. Uh, but overall, I still saw a couple of the same mistakes that he's used to. He seems a little skittish back there. Doesn't necessarily make the right reads, make the right throws. Um, but overall, I think the Penn State defense, even though you know Purdue did put up 31 points and a pretty significant amount of offensive yardage, uh, I think the Penn State defense played a little bit better than I expected as well. Um, you know, they've got some good DBs, like I said, in the in the preview episode. I think their secondary is, is really, really good. But, uh, you know, like I said, just really, really disappointing for me because I was expecting Purdue to be one of those top-tier Big Ten West teams. But still, another great game to follow the Pitt-West Virginia game. Yeah, I think we were both kind of disappointed when they lost because I think we both kind of had them winning. And I wouldn't say by – I wouldn't say dominating them, but I would say pretty decent margin because we were pretty unsure about this Penn State team. But the game was really great to watch. It was kind of back and forth, mistakes here and there. And then it really did come down to the wire because Purdue went up late. Then, like you said, it forced Sean Clifford to make a play. And I think that just where that's where his mentality and his leadership and his seniority came in and was like, this is where I'm going to make a play. I've been here before. I'm not letting us come out of here with an L on the first week of college football. Like, give me the ball. I'm going to show you what I'm going to be able to do. And they came out with the win. Uh, one thing I wanted to go back to as well is uh, in our preview episode, you had mentioned the biggest thing for Penn State was not having the home field advantage. You know, even when it's not a wide out, the Penn State home stadium is a, is a huge, huge advantage. It's one of the best venues in college football. We see it week in, week out. Even when Penn State's not that great of a team, the fans are loud. The fans are there. They're ready to support the team. Uh, so that is one thing we also have to take into account. You know, even though Penn State had to man up and make a play whenever it counted, you know, if we flip this and play it at Penn State, how much of a difference does that make? Does Penn State win by more? Um, I'm not really sure. But – that was kind of something interesting to me. They showed a lot of grit, a lot of fight, came back and made plays when they needed to. Uh, even after, you know, the the pick six by Purdue to put them up 31-28 to 28 before Penn State came back and scored for Sean Clifford to kind of show that resiliency, put the team on his back and be like, you know what, I'm a senior now. It's time for me to move, be able to move past these kind of mistakes. Uh, let's go get this game. Let's go get this W. We can win this game. I believe in my team, and they went out and they did it. Come away 35-31.
That's why I was kind of shocked. I really did think Penn or not Penn State. Uh, Purdue was going to win that game after they went up early or went up late, and I thought for sure that we were going to go uh, two for two in the predictions category. But like you said, Sean Clifford kind of came out there and stole it away from him and put us one one in the predictions. But I think it just proved what we said last week. Purdue's going to come out and they're going to play no matter what. Yeah, it was up there stadium and yeah it was their fans but I mean it's still Penn State one of a huge historic program in college football so they went out there and they played and they said that or they showed that they're not going to be taken for granted and they're going to put it all out there and you're going to have to work hard to beat them so yeah I think that'll lead into a pretty interesting rest of the season for Penn State can the defense continue to gel and can Sean Clifford continue to make plays when he needs to? And that'll be really interesting to see as they get to their bigger games on the schedule. You know, they play Minnesota this year. They play Michigan. They play Ohio State. They play Michigan State. And uh, one game that I really will be paying attention to now is whenever they get to play Maryland because, you know, you and I both said that this Purdue offense can be, you know, a big play type of offense, throw it all around the field and put put real big yardage up with those three Maryland receivers we had mentioned before, I really want to see how Penn State holds up against an offense like that. So, um, really, I think Purdue is still an underrated team by some people. They're, like I said previously, they they have started to get more attention that they deserved. But I do think Purdue is still a little bit underrated. So, I think this is a big-time win for James Franklin and Penn State. Yeah, I think to go back on what you said about the Maryland thing is – we hit on with when Talia Tagovailoa was on, he's on. He's going for 500 yards and four touchdowns, five touchdowns. So when they we're going to have to go up against that, they're going to have to buckle up and they're going to have to really strap those wide receivers down because if not, they're going to have a field day with them. But I think the thing about Purdue being underrated is like they're not going to win nine or ten games every year. Not going to even probably win eight. It's just when they win those big ones, it per, they show that they can do it. So, yeah, they may win six games this year, seven games this year, maybe max. About that's how I kind of feel. But you never know. They could win against two top 25 opponents, and those could be their two huge games that they win and then lose the rest of the season. Like It's just kind of hit or miss with them. But they're going to put all their effort on the field when they, when they touch the gridiron. So, it's a great team to watch. It really is. And an- another great game uh, to kind of close out a really impressive Thursday. I think overall that's where our best games came from on Thursday. But in my opinion, the best game on Saturday was Cincinnati-Arkansas. Um, I know we both kind of disagreed a little bit on Cincinnati. But, man, this team put up a lot of fight. And I think they really impressed. They should have impressed a lot of people. You know, losing all those guys on defense, plus your your big time quarterback and and Desmond Ritter, who's now with the Falcons, a lot of people just kind of counted them out. Didn't expect them to really do anything impressive this year. It'd take them a couple of years to rebuild from from that level of caliber team, especially considering they're not a Power Five team. Uh, but they came out, and I think they showed some real grit, man, to to go down fourteen zero, and then you know after halftime they just could have hung it up. Been like, you know what, this really is a rebuilding year for us. We made the playoff last year. We don't have anything to prove. We are still an excellent group of five team. We're still probably one of the better teams 
in the group of five, we'll show out in our conference schedule and still get a good bowl. We don't really have to worry about this Arkansas win. But they came out and they tried. They put up 17 points in the third quarter and ended up only losing by seven, 31-24 Arkansas. Yeah, it really did shock me. I mean, of course, we kind of went back and forth about how I wasn't really that confident in Cincinnati and didn't really like them that much. But they did come out and put um, amazing fight up against Arkansas, who I think is going to be one of the better teams in the SEC West this year. So it's kind of a thing of, is Arkansas going to be as good as we think? Or are they worse? Or is Cincinnati going to be a top 15 team this year? Because who knows? Like you said, they had all that talent leave. They made the playoff last year. Maybe that gives them more confidence and gives them more fight. But I really do think that they played a great game against Arkansas. And I just – I hope Arkansas shows out and they don't underperform and – kind of both teams kind of fall off towards the end. I kind of hope that both of them finish in the top 20, top 15 teams. So just give us a good preview of what we're expected to see of the Arkansas team this year. I want to I want to address something you said, too, in our preview episode. The, the biggest thing is KJ Jefferson, I believe, because – he was, he was accountable for all four touchdowns that were scored by Arkansas. I knew he was going to play an integral part in this offense, but one thing that does kind of concern me is if he goes down, I'm worried about this Arkansas offense. You know, they did really good rushing the ball. I'm checking the stats now. Uh, their running back, Rocket Sanders, 20 carries, 117 yards, but no scores. Um, he did break, up, uh, break off a pretty long run in the middle of the game. I think it was almost 40 yards, something like that. Um, but, man, you know, what a great performance, not trying to, you know, over over blow that or anything like that. I mean, he came out, he balled out, and you and I both think K.J. Jefferson could be a Heisman favorite. Um, but to count for all four touchdowns, three passing, one running, you know, he could really be the one to put the, the team on his back and carry them to success. And if that's the case, I am kind of worried if he goes down you know, what happens uh, to Arkansas' season? Can they replace that production and continue moving on? Because, you know, I was higher on Cincinnati than you were, and I think Cincinnati's a good football team. But you got a tough schedule ahead of you. I think I'm still with you. I think Arkansas still could be one of the better teams in the SEC West. And something we said multiple times in our preview is this is week one. You don't really know what you're going to get out of week one. I mean, that's probably the best performance Cincinnati could have asked for, obviously, besides winning the game. But seeing their improvement from week one to week two, seeing how they handle their first SEC West game, um, I think we learned a lot about Arkansas. I think we learned a lot about K.J. Jefferson, but there's still a lot to learn with this Hogs team. Yeah, you never really want one player to be your entire offense because, like you said, if they go down, you're – season could potentially be over if somebody doesn't step up. And also, if you stop him or if you make him one-dimensional and have to either make him continuously run or continuously pass, it's a whole lot easier to stop him during the game and could put your offense in a complete stalemate. So you never really want to see that, especially with the former number one wide receiver, Jaden Hazelwood. I know he scored a touchdown, I think. So you never really want to see that. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can develop a better game plan going into their next game, if they can get 
the running back more involved, the wide receivers more involved. Because when you have a guy like that out on the outside, he can easily get probably two touchdowns a game. Like you said, their running back took a huge run. He can easily get in the end zone. But like you said, taking nothing away from KJ Jefferson, he's an amazing player. I think he could potentially be a Heisman favorite this year. One uh, one thing I noticed too during the game, you know, I, a lot of people just kind of said that, you know, he isn't <clears throat> he isn't as dynamic of a passer as he could be. Um, but I was really impressed with with the passing game out of Arkansas. Yeah, he only gets about two twenty in passing yards, um, but they had a couple big plays, multiple pass plays that went over about twenty yards. Um, so I think they they're they're learning to open the offense up more. Whereas, you know, a guy like Sam Pittman is usually kind of of the, the pound the rock kind of mentality. But he's letting his offense open up, and I think that's relieving some of the pressure from K.J. Jefferson. So if they can continue to do that, I think that'll take a little bit off of his shoulders. And if the running back can continue to get that kind of production, I also think that takes the pressure off of him too. And him running becomes more of a, oh, snap, K.J. took the ball, not as, okay, we're expecting him to take a and oh, snap, the running backs got it instead. So um, I was impressed with, with how much they opened it up. But one thing that did kind of shock me was the Arkansas defense. Um, you know, they played really well in the first half. They've got a lot of transfers. I didn't really realize that until the game started. Um, a couple guys from LSU, you know, they have Latavius Green that came over from Georgia um, playing a pretty good bit of transfers. So it can take a little bit for your guys to mesh over there on defense, but – um, you know, first half played really well, and then the second half they let you know three quick passing touchdowns kind of fly out there. Uh, so I was I was kind of shocked with that second half performance. So it'll be interesting to watch this defense the rest of the year. That could potentially be awarded to, like you said earlier, maybe they thought Cincinnati was going to come out flat, not really try and do anything, be like this game is over, let's move on to the next game. We got this in the bag, this and that. So maybe they thought they had it in the bag by halftime, came out, put scores on them pretty quick, and then they had to tighten up and made sure that they didn't lose the game in the fourth quarter. So if they can maybe limit some effort plays and, like you said, mix and all that together better, I think the defense could be potentially a really good one because Arkansas always has athletes, always has – Great players. So it's going to be interesting to see. So hopefully they can put it all together. I hope that's the case, man, because like you said, I think I think they're they're an underdog for what's to come in the SEC West. So 31-24, Arkansas, good win to start the season off for Sam Pittman, rank win, and uh, see how they go, see if they fulfill their destiny as the dark horse like you and I believe them to, to be. And uh, I'm going to let you take the lead on this one, man. Let's hear it. Thoughts on Georgia-Oregon? I think it's kind of a more or a better version of what we thought was going to happen. I think we both knew that we were going to win, and I think most people did think we were going to win. I know a lot of people kind of digged at us that we weren't going to be as good on defense last year. Maybe like we were never historic of having a great offense, and I think people kind of – consistently hit on those two points but didn't really ever dig to see if that was the true case and we're a physical football team we're really athletic athletically given and we returned a lot of offensive starters 
all of our weapons. The defense, we've had five stars that never even touched the field. We have a lot of great athletes that are physical and want to play football for Kirby Smart. And it just kind of showed on Saturday. I just don't think that Oregon was ready for it. And, like, uh, I don't even know if I mentioned this because I didn't want to sound too cocky, but as soon as Bo Nix was selected as their starter, I I think we all kind of knew that we were going to win. We're 3-0 and against Bo Nix. He's never done anything amazing against us. So we're kind of – we kind of have a penthouse suite in his head. So I didn't see us really ever losing this game. And honestly, I was very surprised. I think me and you both talked about it on Saturday. We didn't hear Noah Sewell or Justin Flo many times, if ever. We saw Justin Flo when he did that targeting on Stetson or that uh, spear on Stetson. I think he stayed in the game. But after that, I don't think we ever heard of Noah Sewell's name. And he's the best player on their team and on their defense. So it was kind of shocking to me. I thought they would have played better. I just don't think that they were ready for that type of physicality. And, you know, I agree. I 100% agree with that. My thing is, is I kind of expected uh, Dan Lenning to get them ready for that kind of challenge. And uh, they just, they straight up didn't meet it. You know, they've got seniors all across their offensive line and they just weren't up to the challenge. I think you and I made a joke at one point, wow, one of the offensive line just got manhandled by Jalen Carter. You know, the defensive line, I don't think, got any sacks that I'm aware of, but they made him uncomfortable back there. And, you know, I think Oregon did what they were needing to do to get the game started. It looked like they were trying to get a bunch of quick game stuff in the, you know, with, with Nick's getting the ball out of his hands real quick, quick game screens, you know, trying to set up outside runs to kind of spread Georgia out some and not have to worry about that defensive line. But between you and me, I actually think our defensive line had the least impressive performance out of that defense. I think our secondary showed out on Saturday um, Malachi Starks, of course, and that ridiculous interception. I was, I was seeing the play, and I'm sitting here thinking that the Oregon guy is going to make an unbelievable catch and kind of spark their offense a little bit. And then all of a sudden, he comes down with the interception, and you kind of have to close, push him, push your mouth closed a little bit. Um, but like you said, just kind of just got out physicaled uh, at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. I think our offense showed out way more than what I expected. You may have been, you know, kind of expecting that a little bit more than me. But, you know, and everybody was getting involved. That was my thing. You know, Ladd, A.D., Kendall, Kenny, everybody was getting the ball. Everybody was making plays. Um, and our the, the tight ends were the ones that were really kind of left in the dirt until that big play-action pass that Darnell hauled in and hurled a guy with. So, um, overall, really impressive win. And 100% agree with what you said about Bo Nix. I hate to I hate to trash on a college kid that that's out there playing football, giving it his all, because obviously he's doing it and I'm not. But we 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 know what Bo Nix brings to the table now. Like, yeah, you got that backyard Bo that we saw last year, and I think he took Auburn to a couple of wins that he could have gotten. But against Georgia, and Really against Alabama, I understand that, you know, he led them to that win in 2019, but there was two pick sixes in that game. Had he not had those, I think Bama easily wins that football game. Um, so you, we kind of understand what the Bo Nix experience is, and for him to continuously go out there 
and, and kind of not chalk up anything. I'm really surprised they didn't ever try and make some kind of change just to see what they could do. Because uh, as the number 11 team going up against the defending national championship uh, winners, you know, you'd think you want to put up some kind of statement as opposed to losing four, by 46. But tough, tough learning moment for, for Dan Lanning. I hope he gets Oregon back to a really good place. I think he's going to continue to recruit and do real well there, but this is definitely a, a tough one to take on the chin. Yeah, I hope that people don't kind of count him out yet because I think he really can take them to great places, and he is a good coach. So I hope people don't count him out because we are a good football team, and I just don't think that they're on our level yet. I hope he can get them there because I want him to be successful. But, yeah, kind of like what you said, I was kind of – unimpressed with our defensive line. It's not like we were getting a ton of pressure, ton of sacks, anything like that. But overall, I think our defense played great. Like you said, a few freshmen made very impactful plays. And I think the offense was kind of kind of not expected. I didn't expect it to be that explosive. But also at the same time, this is the most that we've returned on offense in a very long time with the amount of skill that they have. So – that's kind of the ceiling that I feel like we could have that type of potent offense. But at the same time, I didn't expect our offense to come out and dominate their defense like they did. So it's great to see. I think we can kind of keep carrying that over and hopefully take that deep in our schedule and maybe get back into the playoffs. <laughs> just, to, just to bring up another thing that I thought was crazy too, was the, the efficiency, man, that was that was bananas to me. You know, Dad brought it up a couple of times. Uh, didn't even struggle on a third down until end of the fourth quarter. I think in total we were 9 for 10 on third down, which is nuts. The first punt didn't come till the fourth quarter and scored a touchdown on every time we touched the ball up until the, the end of the game. So, you know, this this is a statement win, the biggest win of the weekend. And I think that this could really lead to some good momentum for us. And uh, I thought this by far was going to be our toughest game. Um, so if we can kind of continue that momentum and, and not slip up at that at Kentucky, at Mississippi State, you know, Tennessee the week before those two games, I think that'll be a pretty tricky stretch. But really impressed by what I saw. Yeah, I am surprised that they didn't throw Ty Thompson out there, especially late in the game or Just to see what in the got. second quarter, third quarter, when they were already down. And, I mean, they've been raving about the kid. He pushed Bo Nix in a quarterback competition, and it seems like Bo Nix kind of barely squeaked it out. I think that's more attributed to him being a is it fourth, fifth-year senior, something like that. So I think that's kind of attributed to that more than – maybe what they have in Ty Thompson. So I was honestly really intrigued to see what he could have brought to the table and they just didn't throw him out there. So I think that was kind of disappointing just to see if he'd give the offense a shakeup, but nothing changed and we kept scoring. So. so let me ask you this. What, in your opinion, has to happen for him to get a shot now? Because I read the same things you did. Ty Thompson was getting a lot of, of looks really I mean Bo wasn't handed the job apparently he had to earn it so if that's the case and he was pushed by this kid 
you lose by 46. Granted, it is to the defending national champions. Say what you may. But you lose by 46 in embarrassing fashion. You show no life on offense, minus the drive that took them to a field goal, which really was only continued by that, that questionable rough, uh, unnecessary roughness call on uh, Kamari Lassiter. But I just, if I'm Dan Lanning, I have to do some real soul searching because he, Bo Nix did everything that I've seen him do before. He's not a terrible quarterback by any means, but he's not going to lead Oregon to the promised land. I think that's well understood now. And you're starting to try and build the future of a program. You got a kid that's supposedly pushing him for playing time. If he's already doing that as a redshirt freshman compared to a, a senior, then why not bite the bullet and ride with the young guy? Let him take his lumps this year while you still have a pretty good team and the Pac-12 is down. And then next year you have arguably the most seasoned redshirt sophomore quarterback that could honestly – with the way that Dan Lanning recruits and, and the way the Pac-12 looks, you know, say what you might about USC, this could be setting up for an impressive run for Oregon the next couple of years if you let this kid have the reins. What has to happen if you lose by 46 and still don't put him in? I was like, I don't think really anything should have to happen. I just don't understand how you put Bo Nix back out there with the talent that this kid supposedly has. Of course it is week one. Of course it was against Georgia, but – I think if you don't put Ty Thompson out there, you're just asking to lose. I mean, like you said, neither quarterback's going to take them to the promised land. They're definitely not a playoff team. And like you said, I mean, you throw this kid out there, he plays, gets his playing time in, plays against good opponents. He comes back next year. They got some weapons coming in. They got some weapons there. And then Dante Moore is going to come in, a top – three or four quarterback in his class who's going to push him even more to be better. I just don't see how you don't throw him out there yet. I just – it's going to suck for Bo Nix because, yes, he is a fifth-year senior and has a lot of promise, but he just has proven that he's not – as cliche as it sounds, he's not that guy. He just – yeah, he can win a big game here and there, but he's just not that quarterback. I think you just got to put Ty Thompson out there and – hope for the best and see what he can progress into, but I just don't see how you throw Bo Nix back out there. Yeah, I mean, like, again, I really don't want to trash on the kid. I don't want it to ever seem like we're sitting here trying to bash people or anything like that, but because obviously a lot of these teams would kill to have a guy even close to Bo Nix caliber. I'm talking to you, Iowa. But, you know, Oregon's a, a borderline playoff team. Had they not gotten absolutely demolished by Utah last year, they probably could have been in the playoffs. They had that impressive win against Ohio State, who we thought might have been one of the three best teams in the country last year. And, you know, if they beat Utah, knowing what we know about Utah now, which we'll kind of get to in a minute. But Utah last year went toe-to-toe with Ohio State. So, I mean, it's not like Oregon's in rebuild mode. They're in let's go win now. So, regardless of what happened on the defense, I think Georgia's offense went in underrated. But I think I think this just proves what you know about Bo Nix. You know, give him a shot. I think they play some Division II opponent this week. Give him another shot to redeem himself, whatever. But 
you, you, you've learned your lesson the hard way. So saying, let's move on. It's not hard to redeem yourself against the division team. Exactly. Too. If they don't let's, blow them out by at least 30, then maybe yeah, get his confidence back up. But, I mean, if you don't blow this team out by 30 or 40, I just don't see how you put them back out there. I'm with you 100%. If this score is less than 35, I think you have your answer. Yeah. And if you don't, you're going to see a lot of Oregon fans upset because they had a lot of hopes going into the season. Yeah, I think they were planning on coming in and embarrassing us, and or not embarrassing us, but win a very huge football game for that depends on the rest of the season. But it just didn't work out that well, way. I remember the things you were showing me, like you saw on like Instagram and, and Twitter and stuff of of Oregon fans that had a lot of expectations going into this game in particular, thinking they're going to shock the world. So. Definitely didn't do that, and if they did shock the world, it was definitely in a bad way. So. They shocked the world in a bad way. I'll just say that. But now that we kind of uh, brought them up, let's kind of segue into the Utah-Florida game. Super, super close. Exactly what I expected. A physical slugfest in the humidity of, of North Florida. Um, 29-26, Florida gets the win over 7th-ranked Utah. You know, you can say this is a huge upset, um, one that I definitely didn't expect. But what, what's, uh, what are your kind of thoughts on the whole thing? Well, I think you kind of said this about, uh, oh, what game did you say that was the best game of the? Oh, Cincinnati Arkansas was the best game, or no, you said our game was kind of like the best. That was the biggest win. The biggest win. I, I thought the Cincinnati-Arkansas game overall was the best game of the weekend, but I oh, understand why somebody I would think, say I think this, this was the best game of the weekend, and I think it kind of attributes to what I kind of said about Anthony Richardson. He showed up, and he bought out. I, I've been a big fan of him. I think he's an athletic freak. Yeah, I'm not a Florida fan. I don't want them to win against us by any means, but when they play uh, – out-of-conference opponent. Of course, you want to see the SEC win. And also, I just don't think the Utah hop was honestly very deserving. Yeah, they went toe-to-toe with Ohio State, but they had people sitting out and honestly probably thought they should have been in the playoffs, so they may not have given their all in the Rose Bowl. Stats probably would have said otherwise because they balled out, but I just don't think the Utah hop was very deserving. And Florida just came up and played an insane football game. It was a slugfest, and it was a really good game. And Anthony Richardson proved why he should be the starting quarterback of Florida. Yeah, uh, I was in that wait-and-see mode with Richardson just because of the things that like I saw last year, and I heard the same things with Emory Jones, so I didn't want to fall down the same rabbit hole. Um, but I did come away impressed. I think he, he showed that he's going to be dynamic with the ball in his hands. This is kind of uh, – what I want to see out of KJ as far as it's not all put on him. Let him be a star, but don't make him carry the whole thing. Uh, I thought the Florida running game actually looked better than what the stats kind of show. I don't even think they averaged over four yards of carry as a group. Um, I take that back. They actually did. But I think the, the running game was really impressive. And even though they didn't put up the yards passing that make you think that they were successful in the passing game. I think Florida showed some good stuff, uh, throwing the ball around a little bit, getting different guys involved. So I'm really excited to see what kind of becomes of the Anthony Richardson experience the rest of the year. 
I think he is finally going back to what we're used to seeing out of Florida teams, having a dynamic quarterback. And I think if they would have just rocked with him last year, I think he would have went into this game even more confident. Um, kind of another one of those things of after a while, you know, Emory Jones didn't start. Kyle Trask got the job, who was a no-star recruit. So it's like if, if Emory, Emory Jones hadn't played all this time, why not just rock with your young guy who's going to be your leader next year? Um, and I was I was thoroughly impressed. I was I was also impressed with Utah's fight to to continue to stay in this game. Um, really impressive last drive. I think unfortunately, you know, quarterback tries to do a little bit too much and uh, force a force a tight throw, but the rest of the drive looked calm, cool, and collected. So. I think Utah, you're right, may have been overhyped just a little bit, but their season's not over. And with what Oregon looks like, and you know USC didn't play anybody impressive, so I mean if they continue on their role, they could be Pac-12 champions still because they are the most physical team that's going to come and play, uh, you know, in the Pac-12. So, you know, even though Florida wasn't ranked, they come off, you know, a pretty rough season last year. They are still a physical football team. They are an SEC team, and even though Utah was ranked higher, they came in, played a tough match, and uh, and made Florida earn it. Yeah, I just don't want to – I really don't want to come off as a hater. I just don't think that the hop was deserved. I mean, I by no means want to come in here and take them down or anything like that, but I just didn't think the hop was deserved, especially where people were putting them in the playoffs and maybe even winning the – national championship, I just didn't think that was ever remotely deserved. They had a good game against Ohio State. I just never thought that they were going to be a top-four team in the nation. And they come in and lose this against an unranked opponent. Yeah, like you said, it's Florida and they're an SEC team. But if you're supposedly that good, there's no way that you lose this game. I just don't think ever you can lose this game if you're projected to be a top-four team. And I just don't think that they deserve that and Florida proved them. Right. I also don't think it was fair to Florida to be unranked. I know they didn't have an amazing season last year, but historically Florida's a good program. They have a lot of talent, and like you said, they're an SEC school and they're physical. But I was very excited to see an SEC team win and honestly prove all the people wrong about Utah because I just never thought that they deserved to be that high. Yeah. I think uh, I think Florida's made the SEC even more interesting with the offensive performance we saw out of Tennessee on Thursday. And even though Kentucky kind of took their lumps at the beginning of their game on Saturday, um, I think those three teams are really going to be tough for Georgia this year. I think this is the best the SEC East has been in a while. So Florida gets a huge win. Uh, really impressed with the Billy Napier debut. Kind of what I was expecting as far as the coaching. He's a good coach. He gets what he you know, the absolute most out of his guys that he can um, gets them ready to play, and they win 29-26. And if not for a different other things, a different couple of things that went Utah's way, I think they actually could have won this game by another score. Um, but nonetheless, still really impressive in Billy Napier's debut to take down a top-10 team um, at home. So we're kind of going to go into the headliner now. Um you and I both were a little bit shocked by this, but talk to me about Ohio State-Notre Dame, 21-10 Buckeyes. Yeah, like you said, I was very shocked. 
I didn't think the score would ever be this close. But I do think it can be attributed to a few things. Of Marcus Freeman got his guys playing, didn't really know what to expect with a first-year head coach. Their defense has been very good the past few years with him, the defensive coordinator. So, you know, they came in wanting to play for their coach who didn't leave them like Brian Kelly did. So that could probably be a oh, – We'll get there. I would say a big factor. Um, and then also Jackson Smith and Jigba went down. I don't particularly know how he is now. I think it was a leg injury or something like that. So hopefully he's doing all right and it's not nothing serious. But it just kind of makes me worried, honestly. Um, last year we saw them throw a few games away and – kind of not show that dominant offense that we were expecting. So I know it's week one, and I know this is a big thing to say, but it's it really makes you think, is C.J. Stroud that guy? I mean, I do think he has the capabilities to, and it is week one, and they did come out with a win, but it was dominant. It was not dominant by any means and not what people expected. And maybe that's just not how they do it. Maybe they just win by a few scores, and that's how it is, and maybe this offense won't be – Whatever, I hope they prove me wrong. I think this offense could be electric, but it really does make you wonder and have a few just what-ifs if C.J. Stroud really isn't as good as we think he's going to be or if this offense is going to be what we expect them to be. I hope they prove me wrong, like I said, because I do think their potential is unmatched by any team in the country. So we'll just have to see what happens in the weeks to come. You know what? The the thing for me, and I don't I don't want this to go overstated, is Smith and Jigma did go down, yes, but I still expected more continuity throughout the rest of the wide receiving core. I mean, Marvin Harrison still showed out in the Rose Bowl, so he has that established connection. Uh Emeka Ibuka, who ended up catching a touchdown in the game, I believe. Yeah, he kinda uh, caught it at like the he's, thirty he's, yard line and took it. Yeah. On like two defenders or something like that, I think. You know, he he played impressively. Um, former five-star. Yeah, I think that's kind of what we said earlier is that even with Jackson Smith and Jigba going down, there's five stars and four stars littered all throughout that wide receiver room and in the running back room. There, There's no excuse that their offense shouldn't have continued to click without him. Just, you know, and it, it could be attributed to, like you said, week one. And also I think sometimes when you have that established of a number one wide receiver option, that it kind of makes everything easy to facilitate throughout the offense. It just kind of makes it more natural, like, okay, my guy's covered. Now I can go dump it off on, on a quick slant take Buka, or I can do the quick comeback to, to Marvin Harrison over here. I can hit the tight end on a small drag, whatever the case may be. Sometimes just knowing he's out there makes it easier for everything to kind of facilitate, and it keeps grease on the wheels. But I was very shocked to kind of see the offensive shutdown uh, once he went down because, you know, they were driving and then he gets that weird tackle on the sideline. His leg gets thrown out in some kind of weird contorted shape. And then he comes out of the game and it, it's almost like CJ Stroud looks like a deer in headlights. And he's he's making, you know, chemistry errors. There was a specific play I saw where uh, Igbuka was running, I think looked like maybe a corner route run towards the sideline. And it's like Stroud just – overthrew him by about five or six yards and he's sitting there looking at him like you know he's making these hand gestures of like where he's wanting the guy to go and I'm sitting here like 
Okay, that's interesting. And then he does the same thing with Marvin Harrison a couple of drives later on a quick out. He does the same thing and throws him over uh, by five or six yards, and you see him pat his chest, take the responsibility, be like, you know, my bad, my bad. So, yeah, overall, I was I was very shocked. And I think another thing, too, that I don't really remember hearing on the broadcast, Notre Dame came out and hit him in the mouth. Notre Dame played way more physical than I, would, I had expected. Well, they by scored first, too, didn't they? It was like yeah. three nothing. Ten yeah, nothing. They, they went up three nothing and they went up ten seven and a half. Yeah. I mean Notre Dame came, hit him in the mouth, played physical, and I figured they would with Marcus Freeman, but uh Ohio State is a tough place to play. And like we expected them to be an all out everything team. I project them projected them to win the national title this year. For them to go into Ohio State Stadium, hit him in the mouth and, and never back down, even though they did end up losing the game by two scores, they never let up. They continue to fight, and that was with a redshirt freshman at quarterback. So even though Notre Dame gets the loss, I'm more impressed with Notre Dame out of this game than I am Ohio State. I was—I think they think of this game more as a positive than a negative. I mean, of course, besides to. losing the game, you put up a you put up that good of a fight against, like you said, people that were predicting them to win the national championship. But I think it also is attributed to kind of what Ohio State has struggled with. What you hit on, I think. In our last episode, they've just continuously underperformed. I don't know what it is. They bring in the recruits. Their program has always been successful in the past. They have a good coaching staff. They just haven't been able to perform since they uh, won the national championship with Zeke and them. So it's just like they haven't been able to reach that mountaintop again. And kind of, I know we're kind of talking crazy about this one game but it just kind of shocks you when they're all hopped up like this and then they put up a performance like that and it's crazy that we're talking about this as a win or as them winning against the top five team in the nation so it's just maybe we set too high expectations of Ohio State but it just kind of honestly kind of punches you in the mouth as a viewer like wow we might have thought way too into this maybe they're not as good as we think, or maybe they just had a terrible week one and they come out and light the world on fire in a revenge tour. So I I am happy for Notre Dame that they can take positives away from this and it wasn't a blowout. And Marcus Freeman is his first game as a head coach. I love the dude. I think he's going to bring back Notre Dame. I think he's going to kind of wash away the bad taste in their mouth that Brian Kelly left them and the way that he left. And, I mean, they get recruits in there. The recruiting's been decent. And, like you said, as a redshirt freshman quarterback, I don't think he played terrible, especially against Ohio State. So, I think there's a ton of positives that Notre Dame can take away from this and, honestly, a lot of negatives that Ohio State has to take away from this and a win. You know, you always want dynamic quarterback play. But from a redshirt freshman on the road in his first start against a top-five team, to go in there and never really put the put the game, you know, into a situation where he makes a mistake and it's on him easy. He never was risky with the football. He made good decisions. I think his running ability was really showing off what he can do. Um, I think he impressed me passing, you know, on that first big pass play that led to their field goal. He put that ball on the money, beat the DB there. So, I mean, he, he showed some impressive things and, you know, I got to harken back to the defense, man. I was just so impressed with this defense of showing out of Notre Dame. To hold C.J. Stroud in that offense 
to 220 yards passing, I think is a feat in and of itself. You know, I think regardless that's... of what happens with this Ohio State offense the rest of the year, them knowing they kept Ohio State to that little of offensive success through the air. Now, granted, towards the game, because Notre Dame doesn't have the depth yet, I think Brian Kelly was a good enough recruiter to keep Notre Dame in that in that top echelon of the sport. But I think with Freeman, he's a more natural recruiter. He's going to bring in the talent, get that depth back, you know, to where Notre Dame has been before. Um, so, you know, I think they got a little tired as the game went along. And they, you know, they were a little bit out physical in the fourth quarter. Uh you saw that with Ohio State's running game kind of finally picking up, but I'm, I'm just impressed. Marcus Freeman did an excellent job in his first showing. Again, kind of going back to what I said earlier, obviously the the best scenario is for you to come out of this game with a win, but if you're going to lose, at least you lost like that. Mm-hmm. I was like, they just – I would have felt a whole lot worse for them if they lost with – what we expect. I'm going to say 10 seconds to go and a field goal could have tied the game for them or something like that. At least they lost by two scores and they didn't have high expectations to win and stuff like that. But, yeah, I think me and you are both huge Marcus Freeman fans. I think his defenses are going to be incredible, especially when he gets the recruits that he wants in there and can kind of have his hand still in the defense and be over all of it and kind of focus on a ton of things. So it was just a shocking thing to see. I thought for sure that this game would be 21 to nothing, 21 to seven, maybe in the first quarter. And then, like you said, maybe just get out physical the rest of the game. And Ohio State puts up a lot of huge numbers, but this just wasn't what I expected at all. I was very shocked. (laughs) All right, big dog. I know you've been waiting on this one. So, NC State, Texas A&M, two big ones that you and I kind of touched on a little bit in our preview episode, but especially in our little demo episodes we did about the hops surrounding those two teams. The floor is yours, my friend. Tell me what you saw on Saturday. I think it just finally confirms my thing of neither of these teams are as good as they think they're going to be. And I honestly couldn't be happier to see it. I think (laughs) people – It's kind of like the Utah thing. I think I had a little bit less frustration with the Utah hop because they did play so well in the Rose Bowl. But with the NC State hop, hop, I'm so glad that this happened. I hate to root against people, and especially against teams that we don't even play. We don't even see. They're not in our conference. But I am so glad that they only beat East Carolina by one point because it proves that they are not the number 13th team in the country. They are not a playoff team. Please stop bringing them up in the playoff conversation. They do not deserve to be there. I'm so glad this happened because I finally get to stop hearing about it. And East Carolina came out and balled out, brought it within a one point, brought it within one point, just couldn't pull it off. But please stop with the NC State hop, NC State hop. It's over with. It's done with. They're not making the playoff. They they beat East Carolina by one point. And the Texas A&M thing, Haynes King is a terrible quarterback. He's awful. <laughs> how do you put – how you play that off against Sam Houston? I get it's week one. I, I hate that we keep bringing that up. But, I mean, 
it is a huge factor. But you play that awful against Sam Houston. You score 31 points on Sam Houston. That's terrible. That's awful. He played awful. And honestly, I mean, their defense played good. I think that's kind of expected. I think they moved the ball on them pretty decently. And honestly, I think the only really bright spots that you have on your offense are your wide receivers. Really impressive showing by Anaya Smith. I bet say we saw Anaya Smith ball out. We saw and that freshman Evan say, Stewart. Evan Stewart and Chris Marshall ball out. We saw all of them ball out. And I think it kind of comes back to what I said. This team is going to be as good as this recruiting class that came in. It's going to let them to be. It all depends on this recruiting class. That's where all the hop comes from. That's where all the talent or a lot of talent has come from. It just depends on how well that this freshman class can play and what they elevate them to be. But if you have Haynes King playing like that, you're not going to go anywhere. You are not. I don't think they deserve to be the number six ranked team in the country, and I think they proved that. I mean, yeah, they did blow them out, and it was 31 to nothing, but you got to beat Sam Houston by way more than that if you expect to stay at number six in the country. Well, you know, I'll start with Texas A&M and I'll go back to NC State. Haynes King was a, the, one of the most highly touted recruits to come into A&M that we've seen in a while, um, probably since Kyler Murray was there. Um, and he just – he looks so lost at times. He's such an unnatural thrower of the football in this offense. He seems so uncomfortable running Jimbo Fisher's offense. I don't know how else to put it than that. You know, I still think he's a, a – I think it's a Bo Nick situation. I think a lot of these teams would rather have him than not. I'm looking again at you, Iowa. Um, this – he's got potential. And in the recruiting circuit, in these camp circuits – we saw what he could do. And it's just crazy to me to think that he, he has not been able to perform as of yet. And really, I think this offense started to open up crazy enough with Zach Calzada. So do you put Max Johnson in, who really isn't all that much of an upgrade from Zach Calzada? Or do you rock with your freshman guy, or your sophomore now, excuse me, and Haynes King? Or do we ride with the freshman kid, who seems pretty impressive? Um, I was really shocked. Um, two interceptions, too. Against, I mean, I know Sam Houston has been historically a, a pretty decent football team in the Division Two ranks. I think they might actually be Division One now, or about to be. Um, so you know, I, I understand them putting up a little bit of a fight, but thirty-one points for a team that's expected to be in the playoff, a team that we thought could possibly be Alabama again this year in a more impressive fashion. Like you said, people expecting them in the playoffs. That first half was just a rough watch. You and I both watched it together, and I was just sitting here in disbelief the whole time. The whole time. Like you said, the wide receivers showed out, Anaya Smith and Evan Stewart specifically, and they have amazing depth there. Um, I was really impressed with Evan Stewart's performance. But he ended up with only five catches, and you and I saw at least three to where he was either overthrown or wasn't even given a chance at the football. So I think I think AM is embarrassed and I think they go back to the drawing board. So hopefully they play better. I mean, I don't want them to play bad. I think the hop is ridiculously overrated, just like you said. Um, so definitely not. But football's more country. fun when everybody's good. But 
So they don't yeah. deserve to be number yeah, six in the country. The they country should have never started at number six in the country anyway, ever. So I just don't I don't know if Haynes King deserves to be the starter. Like you said, I don't know if Max Johnson really does either. Maybe you ride with the freshman. Maybe you redshirt him because of the two quarterbacks you have in front of him and just see what you can do these next few games. But I honestly have no idea what they should do. I just don't know if Haynes King's the answer. Like you said, he looked lost out there, overthrows, uncomfortable. But then you see him well, – then you see a play – where Anaya Smith goes right down the seam and he can hit him on a dime and then he goes for 40 or something like that. I just – it proves that they have the playmakers that can make this offense click. It's just I don't know if Haynes King's going to be the guy that's going to be able to get it rocking and rolling. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do because I do think they are embarrassed and I think they know that people realize that they're not as good as they think that they were going to be. Yeah, Texas A&M. They've, they've got some coaching that needs to be done. Jimbo's got to go back to the drawing board quick because it's not easy. The rest of the schedule is not easy. Here, Listen to these next few weeks because Texas A&M is going to have their stuff tested, man. They play Appalachian State, who, you know, you wanted to bring it up real quick. Appalachian State took North Carolina to the wire. Say scored, what you want about North Carolina, but App State looked good. Scored 40 points in a quarter. In one quarter. And I think that's just – I think that after that's, going down, yeah, that, that's insane that you don't do that. But this is I, not an easy win. No, if they have, they have the ability to do that, I know Texas A&M defense is good, but the offense is crazy to put up forty points in a quarter. Then, then you got to go, or you don't have to go. I think uh, Miami comes there. Then you got to play Miami, who put up seventy. Again, it's a Division two opponent, but they put up seventy points. Yeah, people don't put up seventy like that. They don't. You don't. don't not willy nilly. Like this. This was a hard earned seventy points by the Miami offense. That's efficiency. So you play Miami, then you play the Arkansas rivalry, which Arkansas is not going to lay down. They beat you last year, and Probably they're going to expect again. to continue to win. I was. I think they'll be again this year. Then you got the Mississippi State offense, which is no joke. They handily beat Memphis this weekend. And Memphis is another one of those high-profile group of five teams. And then you got Alabama. And you better be ready to go. Then you get a little bit of a break. You got to play South Carolina. Then Ole Miss, Florida, Auburn, and then LSU to end the year. It's a tough schedule. It's, it's big names on there. I just, after this performance, I don't see where A&M pulls off a 12-0 schedule. No. They're, no shot. I think they kind of cemented them losing at least one game when – I'm thinking another 9-3 and three season, dude. Well, this I just is, knew that they weren't going undefeated as soon as Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban started their back and forth this offseason. Nick Saban is not going to go in there and lose to him. He won't, I just I, – I don't see it. With this performance, they're not beating Alabama for sure. Definitely with not. With this performance, I don't even think they're beating Arkansas. Then you got to play a tough opponent in Mississippi State in between that. And you got to play – uh, LSU, who we'll talk about that in a minute. LSU and Texas A&M always gets wild. I mean, this this isn't a slouch of a schedule. And after the Florida win, but say it's another eight and four. The whole joke of eight and four is about to come back. But I'm, I'm a Florida fan for that game, man. Yeah, I'm t- I, I, with how physical they played, I don't see why they 
why they would lose to Anam. I don't see why they would either. I think the joke of eight and four is coming back. Maybe nine and three, probably best possible. But this game, this team, honestly shocked me and underperformed majorly. You, you and I keep saying week one, week one, week one, week one, but a lot is shown. And a lot of growth can happen between week one and week two. I've heard multiple times from coaches, media people, your biggest week of improvement is from week one to week two, which is 100% the truth. Even us playing high school football, we both can attest to that. I think it's important. But there's a lot of growth that needs to happen. Well, I think it's also important to get your season started off right. And they just didn't start their season off right. Yeah, they got to win, but their confidence has got to be down now with only winning by 31. But like you said about the week one thing, there's going to be teams that come out of this and prove us wrong, and they're going to show out and do the growth that they need to do. But there's, there's going to be teams that crumble, so it's going to be interesting to see which team kind of separates themselves from that and does the due diligence that they need to and kind of improve from week to week and don't just stay in that week one slump. I do want to go back to NC State as well. You know, I kind of defended them a little bit in the preview episode uh, whenever we were talking about the NC State hot because I'm a big believer in uh, in uh, Devin Leary, but <laughs> it's hard to be after that game because without the – didn't they have like a blocked punt? Something like for that. A touchdown? I think so. So, ECU misses a PAT, misses a field goal, which – Granted, I do also want to throw out there, you, you can't help what the other team does. So, ECU making those mistakes, that's just part of football. So, you know, yes, that's something NC State had to hold on to in order to win, but that's also part of the game, and ECU just kind of has to eat that and play better. But you need a blocked punt, a missed PAT, and a missed field goal to be a group of five team that has done nothing impressive in the past 10 years. Yeah. I don't, I don't see how you, I don't see how you're happy as a head coach, you know? Yeah. You're playing away from home, but it's East Carolina. Week, like you said, week one, you want to come in and make a statement. You want Even to if you up. don't play as well as you can, you at least don't want to get out muscled at the line. And that's exactly what happened in this game. I'm about to say, you want to back up all the things that people say about you, about how you deserve to be in the top five or how you're going to end up being a playoff team, and they just didn't do it. They struggled against East Carolina. Yep. And I think – One by one point. Like, come on. Yeah. And I think the, the running game was actually pretty impressive for NC State. I think they got some some really good runs in throughout the day. Was it number nine or number zero? That's for short running back. Uh, I think it's zero. I think it's the sophomore kid. He's huge. I'll have to look that up, but he he was impressive. Well, he's sure. huge. He's a good runner. I think he was the only one that showed up to play. To yeah, I would say he's huge. He's a good runner. And he crazy enough, plays. the thing you and I talked about, the offensive line for NC State didn't play too bad. It was Devin Leary not making the right reads. I think he barely finished at 50% completion. And as a possible Heisman underdog, that's just not something you can do. Yeah, I'm just kind of glad that the hopefully the hop dies down because I just never thought that they deserved it. Yeah, it's going to be hard to recover from that one. You're going to have to for sure beat Clemson now to even con- get consideration 
and you have to win the conference. And there's no shot that they beat Clemson, I don't think. Not with Clemson's defense. We'll come, we are recording this on uh, on Monday before the Clemson game, so we will react to that one on our preview episode for next week. You know, just kind of an elongated weekend in the schedule, but it just makes more sense for us to record this today. Um, but with the potential of Clemson's D-line, I just don't see how NC State eats that win out. I don't either. But to uh, stay in the ACC, I do want to hit on North Carolina real quick before we move on to LSU because I feel like we'll probably have a whole lot more to talk about. But for – I know this is very bold to say, but Drake May is balling out. I mean, he has put up numbers the past few weeks. And I'm not going to say some Heisman underdog or something like that, but, I mean, he's playing like it. And he's – the only reason that UNC's winning games, he's – Drake May. Yeah. I mean, Josh Downs went down with a leg injury, probably hit the UNC team pretty hard. But, I mean, Drake May didn't let that kind of affect him. Yeah, it was a 63-61 game, but just proves that these offenses are high-powered. and Kind of like what we hit on, App State put up 40 points in a quarter. Still didn't let that affect him, and they came up with the win. He, he just straight put the team on his back and put up a Sam Howell type of performance for people at home. 352 yards passing, four touchdowns, no interceptions, also added 76 yards rushing at six a carry with a touchdown. He was the most successful runner and passer and player of the day by a large margin as a redshirt freshman. He's a freak. I think I think North Carolina really found their guy. I can't wait to see this dude continue to grow. Doesn't have an interception this year, which say what you want about it, the opponents they've played. Uh, He's already had like 10 touchdowns and it's been two games. But that's hard to do. That is crazy. I didn't think that he'd play that good. So if you want a player from us to watch going forward, watch North Carolina games and watch Drake May, the quarterback number 10, uh, North Carolina's defense, for whatever reason, just I don't think will ever be good. I don't know what they have to do. Um, but if you want to see some offensive skill, go to work, watch some North Carolina games this year. Well, you kind of hit on it that we'd get to it later. So, And you gave <laughs> me the floor about this one. But I'm going to go ahead and give you the, the floor on the LSU game because especially you were higher on Florida State than I was last week. So I'm going to give you the floor on this one. This game made no sense, though. It made no sense. Absolutely zero. I, I've I've wanted to believe in Florida State. I I never really knew about Mike Norvell, the head coach, with this whole you know run that he's been on. But dude, this game made no sense from the bell. Yes, LSU went up three to nothing, but you could tell Florida State was ready to play this football game, and LSU was not. Now, I don't like Brian Kelly. I think he's not a the best human in the world. I don't want to sit here and bash nobody that I don't know. But, you know, he's he's stuff has come out about his character and things of that nature. But regardless of that, he's been an excellent football coach everywhere he's went. He's the one that put Cincinnati on the map before Luke Fickle got there. And, you know, he made Notre Dame – back into a relevant football program. And he won. He only had one losing season at Notre Dame, has the most 10-win seasons in Notre Dame history, and that includes you know, high-profile 
coaches that have been there, like Lou Holtz and Newt Rockney. And I mean, yeah, he didn't win a national title, but he made Notre Dame relevant again after a long drought of of really rough football seasons. To come out and have your guys not even look ready to play, motivated, such like such bad chemistry. I I was I was shocked. I was sitting in disbelief watching this game, and then Florida went up seventeen to three in the third quarter. I was like, "There's no shot. There is no shot." And then it's like LSU flipped the light on. The offense starts clicking. The defense started playing a little bit better. Um, and then you know they Florida State blocked a kick earlier in the game, and then they blocked the PAT for the win. This 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 game just made no sense. Florida State. This is an impressive win for Florida State. It may be a one point win they should have won by more um in all honesty and even if it went to overtime i think florida state would have won this game with how they just showed up to play and uh i'm not gonna sit here and say that florida state is back by any means but this is definitely a step in the right direction this is 24 23 florida state yeah to say i was shocked is probably dumbing it down a little bit. I thought LSU was going to come out and absolutely blow them away. Florida State has not been a very good football program the past few years, and LSU has been. Yeah, they trade out coaches, but like you said, Brian Kelly is a winner. He's won everywhere he's gone. He gets his players ready. They've been to the playoffs. He knows how to do it. And for them to have this bad of a performance, especially with a quarterback like Jaden Daniels, who's – been in college football for what seems like forever, who balled out of ASU. And with having – Hot take did not play well. No, did not. Um, But with having a guy like Kayshawn Boutte and a guy like John Emery in the backfield and you just can't score, I just – I was so confused. Their defense didn't play amazing. B.J. Ojolari and Mason Smith just weren't clicking, I guess. And Mason Smith getting hurt on celebrating. I think that's the dumbest thing in the world that football players do is having crazy celebrations and stuff. I know his wasn't massive, but you just don't need to do that. It puts yourself in a terrible situation to get hurt. But I was just stunned. I thought they were going to come in and blow them out and – Florida State was ready to play, and they just out-physicaled them, them the whole game. It was wild. It was crazy to see. Kayshawn Boutte was a non-factor, and you and I both think he's he can compete with Jackson Smith and Jigba to be the best wide receiver in the country. And I say Jaden Daniels did not play well passing the ball. That was just me. He, he wasn't in sync with his guys. And to not feel the confidence and to even just try and figure something out to get Kayshawn Boutte to the ball, I just – I was not impressed with what I saw out of him. Now, running the ball, he looked great, but he also – that a lot of that was scrambling, running for his life. This LSU offensive line probably put up one of the worst performances I've ever seen out of an offensive line um, until that fourth quarter where they kind of somehow managed to mesh together. You know, I don't want this to be the season of overreaction, uh, especially after week one, but – I think if you're Florida State, you have to be really impressed with what you've seen out of your football team. And if you're LSU, I think you're really worried about what the future holds. Because Florida State, while yes, they could be a much better football team this year, 
you know, besides Jermaine Johnson, I don't really think they lost anything too detrimental to their team or their success. This Florida State team could be better than we expect. But like we mentioned with the Texas A&M schedule, it's not like LSU's is a walk in the park either. You know, they get a, a pretty one, easy one this week in Southern, which is a Division Two team. Then they played Mississippi State. They have to play Auburn. They have to play Tennessee, which their offense is going to be ten times better than what Florida State put on the field. You have to play Florida. We've already talked about Florida multiple times. And then Ole Miss, Alabama, Arkansas, right in a row. And then you end off the season at, at, with A&M. And if A&M can get their act together, that's – a tough stretch. What are you supposed to do? So that's a tough stretch. Not not a good de- debut for Brian Kelly by any stretch of the imagination. So a really good weekend of football, but a really strange weekend at the same time with what our expectations were and what was shown. I think in our preview episode for, for next week, we're going to have a lot of things to discuss as far as what we expect out of teams going forward and you know, let these kind of sit in and sink in for a little while what we may expect going forward because, you know, this is kind of just fresh off what we've seen. And, you know, next week will be the real thing that determines what we expect out of these teams going forward. Yeah, it was kind of a crazy few days of college football. Glad it's back. Like you said, I don't want to be – doing some crazy takes and having overreactions left, right, and center. But it was wild, just some of the things that we were watching on TV. Like you said, we'll get into week two. Most of the cupcakes are over. I know some teams will have a cupcake or two. Like I think we're playing a cupcake this week. But games like Alabama, Texas are going to start to roll in. And there's going to be good games constantly all over TV. So definitely football's not even close to over. None of the – crazy moments are even close to over so it's gonna be a long season and i'm ready to see it yeah 100 percent. and just to kind of throw a couple more games in there um byu texas and usc all dropping 50 plus i know people are really excited to see the potential of usc and texas uh and tennessee dropping like 59 on ball state tennessee also looking really impressive this weekend uh, Ole Miss didn't really impress as much as we kind of would have expected, only winning 28-10 to 10 over Troy, who's not that great of a football team. Um, but other than that, like I said before, this was a really good weekend of college football. I think we're in for an exciting season. Um, perspective has definitely changed. Teams have a lot of improving to do. Um, but I think our big week two and week three games uh, will be a lot of fun to talk about, and I know you and I are really looking forward to this week's uh, – preview episode so again we do have a twitter page reach out to us at read the roster on twitter uh in the process of getting a facebook page set up i think we might look into the possibility of an instagram page in the future uh please reach out to us we want to talk to you guys uh answer questions uh and then on saturdays you know both of us are going to be watching football so reach out to us we'll interact with you as stuff goes down um share your thoughts about what week one uh meant for you And, uh, yeah, just continue showing the support for the show. Please share with everybody you know. Anybody you know that's got any sort of interest in college football whatsoever, uh, we really want to continue to run with this thing. It's been fun for both of us and uh, really excited with what the future holds. Uh, 
but yeah, just continue to share uh, share this with with everybody. So just glad to see where it goes. Glad football's back. I hope we can continue to build off of it, and hopefully the game, the great games, continue to roll in. Um, like I said, hopefully we can build a community on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and where people feel comfortable enough to share their takes with us. And of course, we still try to remain unbiased. And honestly, whatever opinions y'all have, send them our way. We'll talk about them on here. We'll share how we feel about them. Like we said, we want to build a community. No hard feelings. It's just two brothers talking football with a whole lot of other people that love football just as much as they do or maybe not. And they just have an interest in football and want to learn more about it. So, like I said, follow us on the Read the Roster at Twitter and send us any questions you got. Again, you can find the episode on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and now the show is also available on Google Podcasts for anybody that uses that platform as well. Um, and we we will interact with anybody that reaches out. Uh, one of Reed's uh, personal friends in real life has also reached out to us on Twitter already, uh, trying to interact with with him, uh, show some show some love uh, for for people that are reaching out to our uh, social profiles. So please reach out to us. Uh, we'd love to continue the conversation on there. Uh, and then, like I said, our preview for week two will be released later this week. And then we will also have our first NFL episode uh, come up later this week as well. So really excited for the, for the week ahead. And uh, we'll talk to you all then.